This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We have a special class, and I'm dedicating this class in memory of my dear father, Yechazkel Azra Baruch Ben Simcha. You should have an Aliyah in the world above it, Rad uh, My father was a great man. Um, he was uh, he was rich at one time. I didn't know him that well when he was rich. Unfortunately, I wasn't born yet. And then when we moved to England, unfortunately, he didn't start a business. He just uh, spent whatever he had. And he had to start from scratch. And really, he was uh, older that time. He got married in old age. And unfortunately, but anyway, he was a great teacher. He taught us how to pray. He taught us how to pray. He took us to shul. And I would sit next to him. And he really... He loved me, and I loved him. Uh, tremendous love. He was a man who just uh, gave love. He just showered love on his children, Baruch Hashem. And one of the things I remember so clearly is his love for Hashem. His love for Hashem, not just him, but all his siblings. His siblings, his sisters would come over, and they would sing Shabbat songs, and uh, and songs of love, Malka, when Shabbat goes out, he would sing. He had such a beautiful voice and a very loud voice. I'm sure you could hear him down the road when he sang. And beautiful. It's just beautiful. It's just that his, his heart would pour with, with praises to God. His heart was pure, pour with pure praises to God. And when they mentioned Hashem's name, the brother and the two and the sisters, they would say, May his name be praised forever. And they said it. I can't say it the same way they say it. They said it with such love, they said it with such humility, such um, honor for Hashem. They, they gave honor to Hashem. And that's something which, unfortunately, our generation, it's hard to catch up to them. Their purity of heart, their purity of motives. That's, uh, you know, I remember my father, he would go to Shul. Purity of motives, purely the Shem Shamayim, purity of motives, he did it with love. And that's something which I'm trying to replicate. We have to try and replicate all of us. The love Hashem, really. Your heart, your soul, your might. He loved Hashem and he praised Hashem. And he would teach bar mitzvah lessons for free. He wouldn't accept any a penny to teach bar mitzvah lessons. That was his, like his hobby. He made it his hobby. He would teach bar mitzvah lessons, teach kids to read the parasha. And he did that out of love for Hashem. He did it. It wouldn't take anything. I remember that uh, someone tried to pay him, came over to the house, trying to give him a gift. After he taught their son bar mitzvah, and he just said, take it away. I don't want it. It's not for me. And uh, I'm not going to accept anything. So that is a great man. I think he's a great man. So my father, my dear father, this week and next week, I'm dedicating classes. You should have his social and aliyah. This week's class is Parashat Shumah. And the parasha starts off, Hashem says to B'nai Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu says, in the name of Hashem, take for me, Truma, take for me a gift, take for me an offering, take for me donations to build the Bishkan, to build the sanctuary in the desert. Now, this is very interesting. This was the first Jewish appeal for funds. This, this is the first, but not the last, right? Jews love appealing for funds. There's many appeals for funds. And uh, money makes the world go around, and especially the Jewish world. We need money for defense. We need money for education. We need money for yeshivot, money for food. 
And so Hashem says to Moshe, raise funds. Raise funds for the sanctuary. Why? I want you to build me a sanctuary. Now, this is a weird kind of uh, expression that, you know, for us, the moderns, it's very hard to uh, hard for us to understand. Hashem wants to build a sanctuary for him. What's the idea? The idea is that, you know, in those days, especially, you can imagine human beings uh, thinking about an invisible God. You know, if I can't see God and I can't touch God, I don't believe there is a God, right? That's that's basically ancient philosophy. Ancient philosophy is, if I can't see it, it doesn't exist. Today, we know we believe in things that don't, we can't see. We believe that gravity exists. We can feel the pull of gravity. We don't see it. We know that the light exists. We can't see the light here. You can see the, the brightness, but you can't really feel it. You can't touch it. We know these things exist, even though you can't see it, touch it. They exist. But in those days, especially, you need something to visualize. How do you visualize God? You're not allowed to visualize God. So the closest thing to visualize is a house for God. That's amazing. That's the idea. The idea is Hashem says, you want to visualize something, you can't visualize me. But I'll do you a favor. I'll give you something you can visualize, a place where there is a bigger concentration of spirituality than anywhere else in the world. I'm going to be more, there's going to be a spiritual uh, crescendo in this place. It's called the Mishkan, it's called a sanctuary. And the sanctuary at that time was a portable sanctuary. Can you imagine, everywhere you go, you're going to take this little portable hut, this building with you in the desert, 40 years, they're carrying around this building. They take it apart, they go somewhere else, they move it, put it together. They go somewhere else, take it apart, move it together. Like once a year, they did an average once a year, they would take this building apart, put it together. And when they went to Israel, they took it with them in Israel, and they set it up at a place called Gilgal, and it moves around from place to place, till eventually they go to Shiloh, and there in Shiloh they build a permanent structure. It's also a Mishkan, it's not the temple, it's a Mishkan, it's a sanctuary, but a permanent structure, sanctuary, just the roof is still made of the same roof as the Mishkan, which was cloth and skin, animal skin, which we're going to talk about. So Hashem says to Moshe, tell them, Be'kuli Jumat, Take for me a gift. Take for me a gift. Take for me donations to build this Mishkan. Now, it's interesting because the Jewish people left Egypt with tremendous wealth. We all know that was a mitzvah. Probably the easiest mitzvah to do is Hashem says, please go and ask the Egyptians for loans. Take whatever they have, whatever they give you. Ask them for gifts. And the Jews were too, too willing to give gifts to get rid of the Jews. This troublesome Jews caused them 10 plagues. They give the tremendous amounts of gold and silver. They emptied out Egypt. They emptied out Egypt and saved the Haqqadah. And uh, in fact, Hashem promised Abraham Abedu that eventually they're going to be afflicted for 400 years. And then they're going to leave Berechushkadol, the tremendous wealth. And that's what they did. Uh, the Midrash says each Jew had 70 uh, pack mules of stuff. 70 pack mules of stuff. What are they going to do with it? And the answer is they took all this wealth. And they donated it to build the sanctuary. This sanctuary was built with tremendous wealth. It was built with the best materials possible, the gold, the silver, uh, jewelry, everything to a very high-end degree. It was, it was built um, in the best and the lavish possible way. Imagine building a beautiful building in the desert. And not just a building, but a building you could take apart and put together. Now, it's a sanctuary. As I mentioned, it's a sanctuary that represents Hashem. In other words, when they looked at the sanctuary, they would see Hashem. What do you mean they would see Hashem? They would see presence. What do you mean by the presence? There's a pillar of cloud outside every all day long. 
and a pit of fire. And that pit of cloud, pit of fire signified Hashem's presence. They had a presence of Hashem with them wherever they went in that sanctuary. And Moshe Rabbeinu was allowed when Hashem called him to go inside the sanctuary. He could go anytime he wanted. And eventually the high priest, Aaron, his brother, who was elected high priest, eventually would only be allowed in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. And that's the, that applies also to the temple. Eventually the temple was built. So this, this was a, a portable reminder of Hashem's presence wherever they went. Jews knew that there was God amongst them. Why? Because there was a certain place which was dedicated to God. And, you know, today we also have sanctuaries. We have many sanctuaries scattered around the world. This idea has remained with us. Wherever we go, we build the synagogue. The synagogue is the sanctuary, the small sanctuary called the Mikdash Miyad, a small sanctuary built to dedicate to the presence of Hashem. And that's why you put the light inside, the eternal light in front of the ark. That's the reminder that Hashem's presence is in the sanctuary. In the, in the Mishkan, they never had an eternal light. What they had was the, was the menorah. The menorah, the seven-branch menorah, candelabrum was the sign of Hashem's presence, the light would light. And the miracle would be that there was, the light would last 24 hours a day and never went out. The middle light of the seven candles never went out. And from it, they would light the other candles. So interesting, that light would have went out. That's the eternal light. Near Tamid, it's a light forever. That light was lit by Aaron Akoin, the brother of Moshe, was lit, lighted every day. The six branches were lit, and they were lit from the middle branch, which never went out. So the middle light never went out. And so why does the Torah say, you'll take for me a donation? Very strange, you should say, give to me a donation. So here the commentaries go into a lot of detail how when you give to God, you're really taking for yourself. It says, take for yourself a donation. What do you mean take for, take for me a donation? I mean, you don't take a donation, you give a donation. Why does it take a donation? So the answer is, and this is brought down by many different authorities, the Talmud Yerushami says that when you, when you give to God, you're taking for yourself. In fact, the only thing you can take from this world is what you give to God. The only thing you can take from this world is what you give to Hashem. What does that mean? The only thing we can take with us to the next world is our merits of giving tzedakah to the poor, to help other people, to help other people learn Torah, and do good deeds, and to defend Am Yisrael. That's the merit we can take, and the merits we have of doing mitzvot and learning Torah. Those merits are merits we can take. So when Hashem says you will take for yourself, you're taking, you're giving to me, Hashem, and when you give to me, Hashem says, you're actually taking for yourself. And this is a very, very fundamental part of Judaism. The Beit HaLevi's Kiddush, it says, Yehuli Truma, the Beit HaLevi says, it doesn't say you will give to me Truma. Why? Because whatever a person has, you got to give. you got to give to Hashem. And when you give to Hashem, you're taking for yourself. So what you give to Hashem, you're taking for yourself. This is a beautiful idea. We don't have what we have. Whatever's in the bank is not ours. Only after you spend it, it's yours. And only after you keep it away to a worthy cause, it really is yours. It can take you to the next world. It becomes a spiritual uh, money. It becomes money that is spiritual. It can take with you wherever you go. Everyone remembers that B'nai Yisrael loaded down the tremendous wealth when they left Mitzrayim. And they took so much, they emptied out Mitzrayim, it says, they not flew at Mitzrayim. What is the purpose of all this wealth? Now imagine, B'nai Israel probably thought, you know, we're going to take this wealth and we're going to build our new country. 
We're going to Eretz Canaan, to Eretz Israel, and with this wealth, we're going to go and we'll build homes and villages and cities and seed fields and plant orchards. But you know what? They didn't have to. You know why? Because when they went to Israel, everything was there. The houses were there. The fields were there. The towns were there. The villages were there. And they just took it over. So it takes a lot of wealth to build a country and to move an entire nation. But you know what they did with that wealth? And the answer is they donated it to build this Mishkan. They donated their wealth to build the Mishkan. And the Mishkan was right in the center of the camp. Can you imagine? So what would they tell their children? Children, you know what we did with our money? And the children say, what, Dad? What, you, what Mom? What do you do with your money? You see that beautiful building in the middle of the, of the, of the, of the dwelling, of the campsite? That building we built with the money we took out of Israel. All the money we got, we built that beautiful building. Why did you build the building, Dad? We built it for Hashem. We built that building for Hashem to rest his, his presence in our midst. So it's a beautiful Kiddush Hashem that they brought their wealth to build the Mishkan for Hashem. Gold and silver, the Torah says, wool dyed of various colors, goat's hair. They brought expensive wood and oils and spices and gems, beautiful, expensive stones. And it was Me'et Kodesh. It was from every single person, every single person. Imagine, every single Jew felt the need to give. And this is one of the ideas of a Jew inside his head. Inside a Jew's mind is this need, this urge to give to others, to help others. It's an urge that every Jew has to help other people. You know, when I was a rabbi in Vancouver, someone asked me, it was a non-Jew. Someone called me, actually, from out of the blue. They asked me, they said, Rabbi, tell me. He says, why do Jews help each other? Now, I know my friend, he's Jewish, and he's hard, he's broke. And he went to a Jewish dentist, and a Jewish dentist gave him a break. He wouldn't charge him. He charge him minimal fees. He said, we don't find this among Gentiles. How come only Jews do these things? And the answer is, inbred into us is this, this willingness to give and this, I need to give. It's, a, it's an urge to give that we get from Abraham Abinu, Abraham and Sarah. They were the givers par excellence. And where do they learn it from? They learn from Hashem himself. Hashem is the giver. Hashem gives us life. Hashem gives us whatever we have. Hashem gave Adam and Chava clothes after they rebelled against him. Hashem gives us everything despite rebelling against him. Hashem keeps on giving. Hashem is the giver, and we have to learn also to be givers, not to be takers. Today's society is the Mises generation. We have to be the giving generation. Jews love to give. It's one of the symbols of a Jew. It's inbred in our DNA is Rachmanut. Rachamim, Baishanim, and Gomle Chasadim. Rachamim is mercy. Mercy shame, have some kind of bashfulness, don't flaunt uh, sins, and uh, lastly is givers of kindness, giving kindness is inbred into us, we have to give. So we, we responded tremendously, when his first appeal Moshe Rabbeinu made, within seconds, within minutes, within days, the treasuries were full, and Moshe had to tell the people, enough, stop. How often do you hear in a fundraising drive, Stop. I, I don't I have I don't remember a single fundraising drive where people said, Stop, don't give any more, we have enough. Well, this is the first fundraising drive in history, and it was so successful. Moshe Rabbeinu has to tell the people, stop. Don't give any more, we have everything. So 40 years later, some of that wealth was brought into Eretz Canaan too. It was brought to build the land, but the entire nation rose to the occasion, emptied out their personal treasuries, they brought their donations. 
and they understood that the purpose of wealth, the purpose of property is to serve Hashem. The purpose of our wealth, the purpose of our property is to serve Hashem. And we can serve Hashem in many different ways. We're going to talk about So they realized that that's the purpose of their wealth. In other words, God gives us so we can give back. Hashem gives us so we can give back. And that's a very important lesson. And it's a lesson they learned for 40 years because every day they saw the Mishkan in the middle of the camp and they constantly reminded of that teaching and parents would teach their children. You see the house of Hashem over there. That's the place we serve Hashem. That's where all the wealth we took out of Mitzrayim went. Took a lot of treasures to build the house of Hashem. Inside are beautiful, expensive vessels made of gold and copper and silver and the garments of the priests, which we're going to talk about next week. Expensive garments, that's where the money went. It's dedicated for Hashem, and that's a lesson for our children. Everything we have has to be dedicated for Hashem. That's an important principle to use it for mitzvot. And that's an important principle that Ramam teaches us in the laws of Teshuvah. Ramam asks a big question. He says, you know, the Gemara says, there is no reward in this world. There's no reward for a mitzvah in this world. What does that mean, the Ramam says? Why? Because everywhere you see, the Torah tells you, I'll give you this, I'll do this for you. You do this mitzvah, I'll give you this. You do this mitzvah, I'll give you this. We see this in the Shema. In the Shema itself, it says, I'll give you grass in your fields, I'll give you plants, I'll give you grain, uh, everything you need to serve Hashem, I'm going to give you. So Ramah says, if there's no reward for a mitzvah in this world, why does the Torah promise so many good things? And the answer he says, amazing answer, he says, that's not reward. What Hashem promises us in the Torah is not reward. It's a means to do more mitzvah. When you do a mitzvah, Hashem says, I'll give you the opportunity to do more mitzvah. You spend so much on this mitzvah, I'm going to give you much more so you can do more mitzvah. In other words, one mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. Hashem says, you do good things with your money, I'll pour in money to give you more opportunities to do good. So it's not a reward for the mitzvah, it's a reward for you personally to be able to do more mitzvah and get more reward in the next one. So this is a beautiful idea that Rabban tells us. It's not a reward. Reward is a different story. Pirkei Abot tells us in chapter 2, Mishnah 1, as long as we're in this world, we will never know the reward of mitzvot. We can never even fathom. I mean, it's hard to imagine, right? We can't even fathom the reward for one mitzvah. The reward for one mitzvah is so vast, it doesn't fit in this world. Abdesla says the reward for a mitzvah is so vast, it doesn't even fit into this world. You know, they can't. You, you go to the bank, you get a check. I don't know, it's like trillions and trillions of dollars. You can't even cash it. The reward for a mitzvah is not cashable in this world. It's impossible to cash. So what do we get? We get the reward in order to get more reward. We get the mechanism. Hashem says, "I'll give you so that you can do more." So what we do, what we get, is we give, and when we give, we get more. Now it's interesting because a person shouldn't play the system. Hashem says, you do mitzvot, I'll give you. But a person might think, you know what, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting. Now I can do whatever I want with the money. I can do whatever I want with the gifts Hashem gives me. And that's fooling the system. That is fooling the system. It's like you take the case of a good employer. The good employer knows if I make life good for my employees, they're going to work harder. So you know what, I'm going to put a water cooler in the office. I'm going to put nice uh, plants. I'm going to put nice furniture. I'm going to put nice uh, air conditioning. This way the workers will work better. I'll put a little 
kitchen in, in the thing. You get uh, cookies and, and snacks and uh, cakes and all kinds of goodies in the kitchen. And he's doing that in order for the workers to work harder. And what happens one day he walks in and he sees everyone slouching on the couches that he bought for them to rest. And they're not working, they're chatting and they're standing around and drinking the tea and the coffee and the cookies. And he says, hey, guys, what's going on? You're not working. He said, all this I bought for you so that you could work better for me. But you're not working better. You're uh, playing the system. And the same thing Hashem says, I'm giving you everything I'm giving you for you to work harder for me. I'm giving you things that you can do more for me. You can do more misfort. I'm a good employer, Hashem says. If a person pursues charity and kindness to other people, if you do, if you run after charity and kindness, you'll find life, uh, righteousness, and honor. The reward is going to be other things, better things, higher level things, higher level pleasures. If a person likes to give money for good Torah causes, he likes to support Yeshivot, Hashem says, I'm going to encourage you. First of all, I'll give you life. Instead of 70 years of life giving charity, I'm going to give you 80 years of life and 90 years. It means opportunities, like a worker who works overtime for the boss. He produces more. And tzedakah, I'll give you more tzedakah. I'll give you more opportunities to give. And kavod, you get more honor too. Because a charitable person, Hashem gives them certain influence. You go around asking people to donate. Everyone respects him. And they say, you know, you're donating. I'm going to donate as well. So this person, he went out of his way to give tzedakah. All of a sudden, the yeshiva calls him and says, we want to honor you at the dinner. He says, okay, you know what? I, okay, I'll do it. He gets some honor there. He'll make some more money too. He'll find out his stocks are worth more in his life. He'll be healthier. He'll live longer too. Is it a payment? No, it's encouragement. Hashem is encouraging us. He gives us encouragements. And he says, here, take this and do more. Try and do more. Invest even more. And that's what Hashem wants. But the trouble is, don't cheat the system. We have to know what it's for. If you fill your home with safari, with books, with holy Torah books, that's also a good idea. It means you're using your home for Abodah Hashem, for serving Hashem. It's a good idea, by the way. A shas, you know, a Talmud. It's, it's very impressive. A set of Talmud in your house, in the middle of the, in the middle of this, of the, of the uh, shelf. It's such a beautiful ornament for a Jewish home. People walk in and they say, "Wow, what is that?" You know, that really, you know, when I when I started. Studying seriously was because I saw the Talmud. Most Jewish homes don't have a Talmud. They have maybe a book of homage, or they have a Siddur, but that's about it. But my brother bought a a Shas, he bought a Talmud. I remember seeing the Talmud when I was a young boy, staring and saying, Wow, what is this? There's so much here to learn. There's so much information. It's so much information being Jewish. I opened up the Talmud and I started learning Talmud. And that's how I started off. It's so important to have a Talmud in your house, to have books in your house. People come in and say, wow, I didn't realize. I thought Judaism is all about one book. It's about the Torah. Yes, the Torah is the main book, but there's many commentaries and many other books written by the rabbis later on. So it's very important to have this, this masterpiece, this Talmudic masterpiece, this Jewish masterpiece on a shelf, Tanakh, the books of Tanakh, Torah and between 24 books, with all the commentaries, it's so beautiful to see. And then you have the, the Shas and you have Mishnah and all these things. There's the Mitzvah and the Torah, it's right, the Torah. The Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher, the great uh, the Talmud, it says, 
Today, the mitzvah is to buy books that you can read and learn from. So even books in English, the art scroll, it's so beautiful to see the series, art scroll, see the art scroll, Chumash, and the art scroll, uh, Tanakh, and you have the art scroll, the Talmud, it's such a beautiful thing to see. People go in and say, wow, what is this? And the person doesn't know, will say, I never knew Judaism had so many books. You know, we are the people of the book. We don't even know what we have. We don't realize how many books. <laughs> if you go <laughs> to the Hebrew University, they have a central library. And you'd be amazed to see how many religious people are there in the library looking up ancient works because they have a new, it's like a museum library. They have all these ancient manuscripts you can't get anywhere else. You have the manuscripts of the Rambams in his own writing, in his own, you know, making his own uh, marks on the side of the page of the scribe. So they find it over there. It's really Jew religious Jews are in the Hebrew University Library looking up these volumes. And the Hebrew University Library is like seven floors high. It's got tons and tons of material over there. It's amazing. If you want to fill up a major building with books, no problem. You can have all the Jewish books. The rabbi learned what he says. It would take 900 years to learn all the material. 900 years to learn all the The next day he came back. He says, you know, I changed my mind. Only 750 <laughs> so, it's more than a lifetime of work I'm telling you, I'm learning all my learning as much as I can and yet it's like it really is it's, it's, it's peanuts, it's peanuts it's a drip, it's, it's really a, drip, a drop, a drop in the ocean as Rabbi Yezak the great Rabbi Yezak one of the rabbis of Rabbi Kiva says he says my two hands are like Torah scrolls I know thousands and thousands of halachot but I know when I die, they're going to go with me. There's thousands and thousands of laws that are going to die with me. And I learned from, a, from my rabbis what a dog can lick from the sea. How much water can a dog lick from the sea? So number one is, it's got to be a sweet water sea like the sea of the Gabonese, the Canaries. Because obviously you're not talking about the ocean. How much water can a dog lap from the Canaries? And that's how much Torah he learned from his rabbis. So much, how much Torah there is. It's just, so buying books and putting it in your, in your house. That means your house is a place for Abadad Hashem, serving Hashem. If your money is used to buy a beautifully bound shas printed on nice strong paper and it sits proudly on your shelf, excellent. When visitors come in, you show it off to them and they ask you, what are these large volumes? You say, listen, this is the Talmud. This is the pride and joy of my house, like in the Mishkan, the Torah, the Bukhot, the Shnei Luchot Habrit, the two tablets that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down, and the Torah scroll that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote was in the Ark of the covenant in the Mishkan, the central place in the Mishkan. That was what, that was the ornament. That's our ornament as Jews. What's our main ornament as Jews? The Torah is the ornament of the Jew. And if you fill your house with Torah books, that's your ornament. That's that's the main thing. You know, most houses you go and you see this massive 26 inch TV or whatever it is, flat, flat panel TV. But that's exactly where you should put your bookcase and your shas. And people come and say, wow, that was your main emphasis in life. This is my main emphasis in life. My main emphasis in life is learning Torah. That is the centerpiece of my house. That is the centerpiece of my home. That's the centerpiece of our Mishkan. Our Mishkan, the centerpiece of our Mishkan was the two luchot, the two stones that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down with the Ten Commandments, the Ten Sayings, and also the, uh, the uh, Sefer Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote. And the Gemara says also inside the box was a, bo a bottle of manna that fell from heaven as a proof that it fell from heaven. And there was also the stick, the rod of Aharon, which flowered to show that he was the high priest. It was also inside that box. A box uh, that's our treasures. Our treasures are, if you would go into the bed of Dash looking for money, you'd be very, very embarrassed.
the truth is there was plenty of money there as well. <laughs> There's plenty of gold and plenty of silver, but our treasures are not money. Our treasure chest, that ark is our treasure chest. And that ark consists, the treasure is the word of God. Our treasure is the word of Hashem. Our treasure was the stone tablets. Even though the rabbis say, you know, it's worth a lot of money, it was emeralds. Those tablets are made of emerald, emerald stone. Anyway, I wish I could see them, wish I could feel them, wish I could touch them. Obviously, it's Asur to touch them. They're holy. And we don't have them. They're hidden away somewhere. We don't know where. And Bezrat Hashem will find them one day. We'll see them with our own eyes. Bezrat Hashem will see the ark, the beautiful ark. Now, it's interesting because at the top of the ark, you had two Kiruvim. The Torah says two Kiruvim, which is strange. It's very strange. You know, it's one of the strangest mitzvot. I find it very strange because the Torah is anti-image. There's one thing about Judaism is we're anti-images. We're anti-3D images of anything in the heavens or earth. The Torah says explicitly you will not make uh, images of the sun, the moon, the stars, anything in the heavens or the earth, in the seas. We're not allowed to have 3D dimensional images. We're not allowed to. We're not allowed to make them. Why? Just in case person might come to worship them. So if you go into a Jewish house, hopefully you'll never find any statues or statuettes or 3D images uh, photographs, Baruch Hashem, uh, finally the rabbis allowed, because <laughs> they're two-dimensional, not three-dimensional. Uh, but three-dimensional uh, statues uh, are not allowed in Judaism. So why does the Torah allow these cherubs, two cherubs, golden cherubs, on the cover of the ark, built in three-dimensional, looking like little babies' faces and wings, like angels, and their wings would go over the ark, so the wings would, would cover the ark. Two cherubs covering the ark. You know, the only other time we find cherubs mentioned in the Torah, it says when Adam and Eve were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were thrown out of the Garden of Eden, and Hashem put two cherubs with lahat, cherif, revolving fiery swords at the gate of Gan Eden, not allowing us in. And Rashi says over there, those were Malachi Habala. They were angels that do damage. Those are damaging angels. We find two kinds of cherubs in the Torah. One cherub is a damaging angel. That's the, the angels that were the door, the gateway of Gan And the other angels on the gateway of, of uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant, on the, on the opening of the Ark Covenant, were angels with baby faces. Innocent cherubs. That's how we know what cherubs are. We always think of cherubs as these little babies, um, baby faces. That's what they are. Cherubs are angels and baby faces. The cherubs are Kiruvim. And what are these two Kiruvim? What do they symbolize? The rabbis say they symbolize the love between man and God. That when Jews were behaving themselves, they would, hug, they would intertwine and hug each other. And when the Jews were not behaving themselves, they would turn their backs to each other. Imagine, these are cherubs made out of gold. And... This, this amazing miracles that would happen is when the Jews are behaving, they're, they're intertwining with each other. When the Jews are not behaving, they just turn their backs and face the other way. Now, who would see this? Well, no one's allowed over there. No one's allowed in the Holy of Holies. The Ark of God is in the Holy of Holies. Only the Kohen Gadol, once a year in Yom Kippur. So can you imagine, the Kohen Gadol goes in, and he goes in to pray to God. This is the most famous prayer of the Kohen Gadol, which we say on Yom Kippur. And he goes in there and he fills the houses full of incense and, uh, and smoke. And he can barely see, but he sees. You can see these cherubs. 
and the cherubs are facing away from each other. And he goes outside and he screams in agony, pray, do teshuva, guys, the angels are facing away from each other. It's a bad news for us. And all the Jews pray, it's Yom Kippur, it's the Day of Atonement, and they all pray, forgive us, Hashem, we're sorry, we won't do it again, we're, we're, we're very sorry, please, Hashem, we're going to want to be close to you. And he goes back in, and he sees they're still facing away from each other, he goes out again, he screams, guys, you're going to pray more, do tshuva, please, with all your hearts, all your souls, now's the time, it's Yom Kippur, the angels are facing away from each other, that bears trouble. And then he would come back, and maybe the angels would be back together again. And he knew that the Teshuva was accepted. So this happened only once a year. The Kohen Gadol would go in and he would see. Now what's very fascinating is that at the end of the second of the first temple period, they still had this ark and they had the cherubs. And it says when Nebuchadnezzar, the, the Babylonians, the Buzardan, who was the general of the Babylonians, came into the sanctuary, he found that the ark, the angels were, were, were clasping each other. They were loving each other which is very strange because that was the time that, that the temple was destroyed. So the rabbis, there's a couple of answers. Number one answer is, is the rabbis say that Hashem took out his anger on the building. He didn't take out his anger on the people. We survived. The building never survived. The first temple never survived. Uh, the Babylonians burnt it down, but we survived. So that's the love of man and God. The love of man and God survived. Hashem kept us alive. He still loves us. In the destruction, he still loves us. The other explanation says, no, this was to fool the people. Hashem said, I'm not going to give you any more signs. You don't pay attention to me. I'm not going to give you any more signs. You won't even know that you have to do Teshuvah. I'm not going to turn the angels around anymore for you. I'm not going to give you any more signs. That's Hashem is stepping back from the world. That's Hester Panim. That is where we are right now. Hester Panim is Hashem's face is hidden. What does that mean? Hashem chooses not to get involved until we really scream out and pray hard. We want you to go to Hashem. We need you, Hashem. The Mashiach will only come when every Jew realizes there's no other. We're not, we're not safe. Nothing else can save us only Hashem. The power of God can save us and nothing else that we have to. We're getting closer to that realization every single day. When our friends turn against us and our enemies around us are surrounding us and causing havoc, we're getting to this realization, not even the army, not even the Air Force, not even this could save us. Only Hashem could save us. Hashem, you save us. Help your people. Come back to us. We'll come back to you. You come back to us, Hashem. So let us serve Hashem in our houses. That's the Shachanti Betocham. The country is asked, it says, you'll give for me a, a, a donation in the singular. And then Hashem says, I will dwell among you in the plural. <laughs> What's going on? Why is one in the singular, one in the plural? Hashem says, I'm going to dwell amongst all of you. I'm not going to just dwell in, the, in this building. I'm going to dwell inside you, Hashem says. This is the key. The key is, and this is something which we have to try and do, is bring Hashem inside us. How do we bring Hashem inside us? Ramon says, every time you think about Hashem, He's with you. If you time, if you think, every time you think about God, Hashem is with you. God is with you. So the more we think about Hashem, when we pray, we say a blessing. When we see a mezuzah, we should think about Hashem. These are all reminders about Hashem. But the truth is, it's not limited. It's, it's 24-7. A person can think about Hashem 24-7. It's a big mitzvah. We said there's six mitzvot you can do 24-7. Six mitzvot you can do 24-7. Number one is to believe in God. Number two is to know there's only one God. Number three is to know there's no other God. Number four is to love God. Number five is to fear God. Number six is don't go after your heart and your eyes. 
So the six mitzvot you do 24-7, amazing mitzvot. And this mitzvah is think about Hashem. When you think about Hashem, He's with you. It's very important. There's two people on a train. One is reading the paper. One is thinking about Hashem. The truth is, sometimes we miss this idea. We learn Torah, but we don't think about God. We learn, we, we read books, Jewish books, but we don't think about Hashem. The whole purpose is to get closer to Hashem, think about Hashem more. So listen to the rabbi, the rabbi uh, going on and on. You know the story. The story is the guy went to the shul. He went to, he went to a reform shul and he came back and he said, what do you learn from this? I learned that you know, you got to help each other. And the other guy went to the conservative shul and you know, they, they were talking about helping helping men, helping this. And he went to Orthodox shul and he said, I didn't even know what the rabbi was talking about. He was talking about something called mukse. I didn't understand what he's talking about. You can't, t- you can't move certain things on Shabbat. And they asked him, look, what was your overview of Judaism? What do you get out of these different uh, places you went to? He said, you know what? One thing I never heard was God. I went to all the shuls, but the rabbis were not talking about God. And that's something I expected them to talk about. And that's something which we have to talk about. That is the key. That is the message. The message is everything else is pointers. They're all pointers pointing in this direction. And that direction is... Make a sanctuary in yourself for Hashem. That's the mitzvah. This is parasha. Make a sanctuary for yourself in Hashem. How do you make a sanctuary for Hashem within yourself? And the answer is our sanctuary is our minds. When you think of Hashem in your mind, you're making God in. You kind of come into your mind. Hashem fills up your mind. The person going to think it's one of the meditations. Baruch Hashem. You are the source of all blessing Hashem. No, we're not blessing Hashem. We're just stating a fact. You, Hashem, are the source of all blessings. And you gave us everything we have. And that's something which you have to thank. We have to thank Hashem every single day, many times a day, whatever we have. And this is, uh, you know, Rabbi, I think the middle is very good on this. He calls the TYH program. He calls it the TYH program. What is the TYH program? TYH program is thank you, Hashem program. <laughs> TYH, what a great, what a great idea. TYH program. Let's all start this TYH program. What is the TYH program? It means if you want to save yourself, if you want to preserve your reward for the next world, make your life a program of saying thank you to Hashem. Thank you, Hashem, for my house. Thank you, Hashem, for my apartment. Thank you, Hashem, for my bank account. It doesn't matter if you have $10 in the bank or $10,000. Thank you, Hashem, for my spouse. Thank you, Hashem, for my children. Thank you, Hashem, for my grandchildren. Thank you, Hashem, for my siblings. Thank you, Hashem, for Eretz Israel. Thank you, Hashem, we have a place to come, a place to run, a place to hide. Thank you, Hashem. And when you have, sit down at your supper table and you have as much bread as you want, get busy thanking. And even if your spouse tells you, don't eat so many pieces of bread, it's not good for you, weigh yourself. You listen to your spouse, but you have to still thank Hashem. Thank Hashem, we have this. Tremendous blessing today. There's so much food. It's just so tempting. A lot of people are overweight, but you know why? But we have to thank. You know why? Because Hashem showered blessing down on us. And don't be skimpy about it. Always thank Hashem trillion times a day, whatever you can, trillions of times. And every time you thank Hashem, you should think, Hashem, I want to create an angel that's going to praise you, Hashem. With these thanks I'm giving you, with this blessing I'm giving you, Hashem, I want to create an angel to thank you. Or angel to sing your praise in the world's above. And angel, these angels last forever. Every time you create an angel, that angel lasts forever. If you want to create an angel that praises Hashem in the world's above, you create a praise of Hashem that just doesn't tire out. Angels don't tire out. Angels don't wear out. 
you create something that lasts forever. In the world above, that praise Hashem and Hashem says, wow, this angel. <laughs> Every deed we do, we create angels. We do a good deed, we create a good angel. A bad deed is a bad angel. Um, there's a guy who did Teshuvah. Yeah, he, did, is a, is, he has a very famous uh, website, where I mentioned names. And he has a movie that he shows of his, you know, he says he had a, uh, he nearly died. And he had a near-death experience. And in the near-death experience, he went to heaven. He saw all the bad angels he created with his deeds. And he, they were monsters. He got so scared. And he saw that the good angels he created were praising Hashem. And when he came back to life, he became Baal Shiva. And he, he actually made a movie of his what he, what he saw. Made a movie. It's a very, very impactful movie. And we, we have to realize that our deeds go up to heaven and we create angels. So why not make the best possible deeds? Always think we do this for this message should bring pleasure to Hashem. I want to create the angel that will praise Hashem, give pleasure to Hashem. Because what are we doing? We're, we, the main, you know, there's a book called Hovat Levavot. Hovat Levavot is the duty of the heart. What is the duty of a heart? He says, the main way of serving Hashem, yeah, we do this, we do physical things. But a heart has to be in it. Because when your heart is in it, that means you're in it. So he says, that he has a whole book about the duty of the obligation of a person towards Hashem. And it's all based on one thing. It's based on this idea that we owe Hashem, Hakarat Hatov, to recognize and appreciate whatever He gave us. And when we recognize and appreciate whatever He gave us, we'll serve Him better. We will serve Hashem better. We can use whatever He gave us to serve Him better. Hashem, thank you for everything He gave us. And this is one of the things my father was very big on, was praising Hashem, thanking Hashem. He would, he would read Tehillim. I, I I I've never seen a person read Tehillim like him. He put all his heart in it. He would say the Psalms with his heart, which is like an outpouring. It's an outpouring. So, Bezrat Hashem, we were all following that way. And thank Hashem, and praise Hashem, and give Hashem. We're not, when we give Hashem, we're really taking for ourselves. We have to understand that. When we give, we're taking. And it's so interesting. There's a beautiful word in Hebrew which works on both sides. Benatenu ish, kofre nasho, basha kitisai. It's later on. But it says, Venatenu, Vav Nun, Venataf, Nun Vav. Vav Nun, Taf, Nun Vav. And it works both ways. Venatenu, when you give in that direction, it's coming back to you in the other direction. So when we give, when we give, we're getting. Venatenu, when we give, we're getting. So we have to realize this is an opportunity, building a Mikdash, building a place for Hashem, for the Shekhinah. It was built with all their hearts, built with all their emotions and all the highest thoughts that's the things that build the building you know it's interesting because that mishkan was never destroyed the sanctuary that moshe Rabbeinu and bitzalel it says the designer built in the desert is still here somewhere it's buried somewhere we don't know where it is but it hasn't been destroyed it was never burned never destroyed whereas the temple was destroyed why why was the temple destroyed in this building and it's the same reason why I sh- one of the reasons that david Amelach was not allowed to build the temple Hashem says, if you build a temple with your beautiful thoughts and your beautiful emotion, your beautiful sanctity and, and, and everything you have, all the spirituality you build with it, I can't destroy it. So he said, okay, I'll build one wall. That's the wall we have, which was never destroyed, the waiting wall. We never had it. the Kotel. David Amelach, the legend says, David Amelach built that wall. You can see, I mean, those massive stones, not the stones above. Those stones above are built by Herod. 
uh, about 2,000 years ago, but the stones are underneath. They go down into the tunnels. You see those massive stones that just weigh tons. Each one is like a whole the wall of a house. It's like amazing, those massive stones. Those were the stones that David Amir, the foundation stones that no one can move. Those, you can't move those stones. And those are the stones. So anyway, why? Because the Mishkan was built with a sincerity and they built it themselves. They built it with own hands. Where Shlomo Melech imported workers from outside Israel to build the, the temple. And they never had the same thoughts. They never had the same emotions when they're building. They never built it with the same sanctuary. So something which is built with the sanctuary, with sanctity and, and kedusha and thoughts and the emotions, Hashem says, I'll never destroy that. Nothing will destroy it. The foundations have to be solid. And the same thing applies to raising children. It was interesting. A person raises their children from day one with sanctity. You know, the Benish Chai says, you even wash your children's hands every day in the morning. Obviously, they can't say a bracha, but you wash their hands the same way we wash our hands with a, with a vessel, going backwards and forwards three times. If you start washing your kids' hands at an early age, they'll be holy. You're, going to be holy. You're raising them with holiness. So that you start off with the raising, having, having children in holiness even before that is the conception. It's the purity of the, of the parents' thoughts. Ramban says in Yegerit HaKodesh, in the, in, the, in the letter of sanctity, you can look it up and, and download it today, the letter of sanctity, the Ramban, of Moshe ben Nachman, not, not Rambam, but Ramban. Everything starts with sanctity. Everything starts with holiness. And those thoughts of holiness will last forever. Those thoughts of holiness will last forever. And those, the things you do with holiness will last forever. So when a person gives a donation, like, uh, do it with holiness, with thoughts. And the Benish Chai, I just want to end off with this Benish Chai. The Benish Chai says this beautiful in meditation. He says, Yud Kei you know, the God's name, you, the holy name of God, the Yudke Vavke, the famous name of God, full letter name of God, Yudke Vavke. He says, think, when you have that coin in your hand to give, is the letter Yud. That little coin is a little, smallest letter is the Yud, like a small coin. The K is a hey, it's five. Come on, you five is your fingers in your hand. The Yud is the coin, the hey is your hand, the Vav is your arm, when you stretch out your arm to give. And the last hey is the hand you put it in. That is the last hey, that's five. So the hand you have, yud is the coin, hey is your hand, the vav is your arm outstretched to give, and the hey is the receiving hand. That's the covenant when you when you give sraka to a poor person. Yud I'm doing this purity to build the name of Hashem, to make it one, to make it holy. Hashem should bring holiness into our lives. There's so much garbage out there. Let's bring holiness into our lives. Make our computers holy, make our cell phones holy. And bring bring holiness books into our, our, our beautiful rooms. Instead of a flat uh, TV panel, put a put a bookcase over there. Put some books, Hebrew books, Jewish books. People come and say, "Wow, what is all this?" I never knew there were so many books. And Bezrashim, people get turned on to Judaism and not turned off Bezrashim. I wish you all uh, Shabbat Shalom and Bezrashim will have much success in Eretz Israel. Uh, I, I'm praying every day. I should give us. Much success at Eretz Israel, every single dimension, and bless all these inhabitants who are living here. And right now, we're suffering. The war is going on in both directions, and uh, and the person doesn't know what really what tomorrow has to bring. Israel, we trust in God, and if you trust in God, He's with you all the time. Israel, take care, Shabbat Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.